So I'm going to speak to you today about authority and power, uh, the authority of Christ. You know, before I, I moved here, I, li- I lived in northern Wisconsin, and I was a fire chief of a very small volunteer fire department. And because I was fire chief, my word actually carried some authority. Uh, I could make things happen. I remember one time uh, with just a word, I shut down about three miles of a four-lane highway similar to Highway 29 and evacuated people out of the houses because there was a um, propane truck that had flipped over and uh, that, was, that was a protocol. And so I, was, I had some ability with my word to affect change. Um, gentlemen, my clicker is dead, so if somebody can grab it for me and Well, I'll tell you what, I'll just walk back there. But anyway, um, so my word doesn't carry much authority right now, does it? (laughs) But if you think about it, as as fire chief, my authority only went so far. And so if the governor of of Wisconsin had shown up that day, he could have opened that highway up because he was a greater authority. My authority was given to me by someone. We understand that. We, We have a president. And our presidents, with a word, have the ability to declare war and spend billions of dollars and displace thousands of people, right? It's it's an authority that they have, but even that authority is given. But what we're going to see today as we go through Scripture is that there's one ultimate authority, the word who became flesh, the Son of God, and the passage that we are about to read teaches us that the word of Christ has ultimate authority and ultimate power. So if you'll stand with me as we read God's word together, we'll begin in verse number 31 of Luke chapter 4. And he went down to Capernaum, a city of Galilee, and he was teaching them on the Sabbath, and they were astonished at his teaching For his word possessed what? Authority. There's that word. And in the synagogue, there was a man who had a spirit of an unclean demon. And he cried out with a loud voice, Ha, what have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. And Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And when the demon had thrown him down in their midst, he came out of him, having done him no harm. And they were all amazed and said to one another, what is this? And here it is. What is this word? For with authority and power, he commands the unclean spirits and they come out. And the reports of him went out every place into the surrounding region. And he arose and left the synagogue and entered Simon's house. Now Simon's mother-in-law was ill with a high fever, and they appealed to him on her behalf. And he stood over her, and I want you to notice what he did. What did he do? He rebuked the fever, and it left her. And immediately she arose and began to serve them. Now when the sun was setting, all those who had anyone who was sick with various diseases brought them to him, and he laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. And the demons also came out of many crying, You are the Son of God. But he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak because they knew that he was the Christ. And when it was day, he departed and went into a desolate place. 
And the people sought him and would have kept him from leaving them. But he said, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well. For I was sent for this purpose. And he was preaching in the synagogues of Judea. What tremendous blessing it is, Lord, to have spent so much time just thinking about the power of your word. Christ possesses ultimate power, and with that, his word does too, and we carry it with us, Lord. And so I pray that as we uh, go through the message today, that we will have a greater appreciation for the word of God and what it does to people's lives. In Christ's name, amen. In, in this last section, by the way, just, for, just so that you know, this is the last little section of the introduction of Luke. We are finishing up the introduction of Jesus' ministry. And Luke shows that Jesus' word has authority. And this section functions as a summary of Jesus' ministry to show the priority of the word of God and everything he did. It's, even though he's, he's highlighting specific events, it's, it's a summary statement of this is how he did his ministry. For any spiritual ministry to be truly spiritually effective, it must be saturated with and obedient to God's word. His word, and we're going to see that God's word possessed authority in three different ways. The first way is that there was teaching authority. Jesus' word possessed teaching authority. Look with me at what he says in verse number 31. And he went down to Capernaum, a city of Galilee, and he was teaching them on the Sabbath. And they were astonished at his teaching, for his word possessed authority. I said last week that they have never heard anything like this before. They, they have never heard anyone who taught with such authority. The rabbis, as I said last week, they borrowed their authority. Much like me as a fire chief would borrow my authority, they borrowed their authority. Rabbi so-and-so said, and Rabbi so-and-so, who was a student of Rabbi so-and-so, and it was just an endless litany of that, that kind of teaching. But Jesus didn't need to quote dead people in order to have authority. His very words possessed authority. The people listening to him were aware of this. Look at your verse one more time and notice what they didn't say in verse number 32. What they didn't say is that his teaching is, or he is teaching like his word possessed authority. They didn't say like it possessed authority. No, they stated his word possessed authority. Now, what does that mean, his word possessed authority? Have you ever thought about that? By the way, if you grew up in the 80s, um, the, the, the song Authority Always Wins has been running through my mind, the authority song, um, but I can't help that. But what does this word authority means, mean? Well, the, the word behind it is excusia, and it refers to the power or ability to do something. It's, it, many times it's talking about the right of someone to exercise authority. So it's somebody who has the position and also has the ability to make things happen. In other words, Jesus not only had the right, 
but he possessed the, the power as well. And, and so that's, that's very important for us to understand. We can contrast this with something in the Old Testament. If, you're, if you've read your Old Testament, you might remember that in 2 Kings chapter number 7, Samaria was under siege by the Syrian army. That was the time of Elisha. There was a great famine in the capital city, Samaria, and people were doing awful things just to survive. But there were these lepers, and lepers weren't allowed in the city, but they weren't allowed into the army of the Syrians either, and they were starving as well. And they finally said to themselves one night, you know what, we're either going to stay here and die, or we could go to the Syrian army and ask them for food and possibly die there as well. Either way, we're going to die. And so they, they go... Now, prior to this, Elisha had looked at the captain of the king, and he said, tomorrow in Samaria, food's going to be really cheap. And the captain of the, the king mocked Elisha. So after that happened, these lepers that night, they go out to the Syrian army, and what do they find? They find they're completely gone, and they left all their food and all their gold and all their stuff there. And they started eating food and they started gathering stuff up. And they finally said, we got to go tell the people in town. So they go and tell the, the people in town. Now the captain of the king had been giving authority to possess control of the gate. The only problem is that the people trampled him to death. So he possessed authority, but he didn't possess the power along with that authority. You ever feel like that when you're teaching kindergarten or something? You have authority, but there, there's no power to control anything, right? Sometimes it's like herding cats. He could, he could do nothing. But Jesus, the Bible tells us, possessed all authority. His word possessed both authority and power in his teaching, but it's not only his teaching. His word also possessed authority over the spiritual realm. While he was teaching, this this man who had a demon, the demon heard all that he could take. And notice what he did. He cried out, Ha! What have, we, what have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Now look down at verse number 41. Verse number 41, And demons also came out of many, crying, You are the Son of God. This demon heard all he could take, and he just stood up and, and, and just started talking or screaming. We'll see in just a minute. But as I said last week, Satan was throwing everything he had at Jesus. Galilee was the location of, if you're a history buff, it would be like the spiritual battle of the bulge. Remember how Hitler threw so many people, I think it was 200 and something thousand initially, in just one spot there at the Battle of the Bulge. And it was a, it was a big battle. And the same thing's going on here in Galilee. Galilee, where Jesus was, it was, it was just a tremendous battle. There were demons everywhere. They were trying to hold on to any last little bit of their domain that they possibly could. Now, the English translation of their reaction doesn't do justice to the original word. When, when the Bible says they cried out with a loud voice, that word cried out 
The word behind it is anacrodzo, and it, it means to, to shout or to scream. A good usage of it is actually when the disciples were on the Sea of Galilee in the storm at night, and Jesus came walking on the water. Mark chapter 6, verse number 49 says that when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was, it was a ghost, and they cried out. Now, what kind of a cry out would that be if you see a ghost walking towards you on the Sea of Galilee, right? It's not, it's not a pleasant sound. This, this, this word commonly is used in, in the, the Greek world at that time to describe the demonic or the, the underworld, the sounds of the bellowing and the noises that witch, witches made, the sound that demons made. It was, it was very characteristic noise a lot of time. And so this loud cry from this demon would have been something that made your skin crawl, made the, the hair on the back of your neck stand on end. And so he cried out with a loud voice, and how does Jesus respond? Jesus responded, verse number 35, he rebuked him, saying, be silent and come out of him. And when the demon had thrown him down in their midst, he came out of them having done no harm. So Jesus rebuked the demon. And the demon had no choice. The demon had no choice but to come out. Why? Why did he have no choice but to come out of the man? Because of the authority of Jesus Christ. Notice what happened then in verse number 36. And they were all amazed and said to one another, what is this what? Word, that's all it is. It's just a word for with authority and power, he commands even the unclean spirits and they come out. This demon is an, is an enemy who was actively working in rebellion to Jesus and yet he still had to obey Jesus. He had no choice. Because Jesus' authority over the spiritual realm exists through the exercise of his word. Now, I am sure that there are many people who are at war. I'm sure that, that uh, the president of the Ukraine would love to just be able to say the word and have Russia quit attacking. Right? But he doesn't have that kind of authority, does he? But Jesus has the authority to speak to his enemies and they quit. And this, by the way... If you think about it, I mentioned this last week, this is part of his ongoing war with the devil. And in this war, Jesus had authority over the demons, which he exercised simply by speaking his word. Tremendous power and authority, isn't it? In his famous hymn about God's victory over Satan, in that hymn, A Mighty Fortress, Martin Luther wrote, one little word shall fell him. One little word. The same word that Jesus had used to defeat the devil in the wilderness, the word of God, he now used to cast out demons. Now in those days, somebody who wanted to get power over the underworld, get power over demons, uh, they would... They would do all kinds of magic spells. They would do, recite religious incantations, 
bizarre rituals and other desperate forms of hocus pocus, if you want to use that term. But Jesus didn't do any of that, did he? He just stood up there and said, get out of here. And he was gone. That's the kind of authority and power that Jesus had. All he had to do was say a word. But it didn't stop there. Not only did he have teaching authority, and did he have authority over the, the spiritual realm, but he had authority over the, spirit, the physical realm, as word did. Let's, let us look at another event. This is on the same day, verse number 38. Let's continue. And he arose and left the synagogue and entered Simon's house. Now Simon's mother-in-law was ill with a high fever, and they appealed to him on her behalf, and he stood over her, and what did he do? He rebuked. He rebuked the fever, and it left her. And immediately she arose and began to serve them. Now a couple things for you to note, and I meant to put a picture up here, but I didn't. I forgot. The synagogue at Capernaum most likely was very close to Peter's mother-in-law's house. If you've been there, you know what I'm talking about. The distance between the two, if the synagogue were against this wall over here, the possible location of Peter's mother-in-law's house would be this wall over here. It's that close together. Short walk from the synagogue over to the house. But secondly, you must remember it is still the Sabbath. And so they're, they're following, observing all the Sabbath day laws and rules. And the Sabbath, if you remember, goes until about 6 p.m. Their day, so tomorrow in Jewish calendar would start tonight at 6 p.m. and go until tomorrow night at 6 p.m. That's, that's the way it worked. But Peter's mother-in-law was sick. So when you look at verse number 39, you see something that I think is very fascinating. How did he heal her? It says that he rebuked the fever. He rebuked it. Now let me give you an important life tip. If you go to a doctor with a high fever and he tries to rebuke the fever, find another doctor, okay? But, but the power and authority of Jesus was such that all he had to do was rebuke a fever and it left. And re rebuke is a theme in this passage. There, I want, want you to see that. In verse number 39, he rebuked a demon. Here, he rebuked a fever. And again, in verse number 41, um, he, he rebuked the demons again. I think, I think I got my verse reference messed up. But why did he use the word rebuke? Why, why did he rebuke here? Because remember, this section of Luke is explaining to us that everything that Jesus did, he, he had a word ministry. And that word is very powerful. And that word can overcome any enemy in the spiritual realm and it can overcome anything in the physical realm. Now, what was her response? What was Peter's mother-in-law's response when the fever left? She got up and served, right? She immediately began to serve. Why did she do that? I think you know the answer to that question. It was out of a heart of gratitude, wasn't it? If you have a heart of gratitude, you serve. Let me ask you, how are you serving Christ's body today? Out of a heart of gratitude for what he's done. Yeah, the other, the other people in the body may not be grateful to you. 
but you can be grateful to Jesus Christ and serve, right? That's why we serve. We serve because it's, it's a privilege. So with a word, Jesus rebuked demons and overcame them. And here he rebuked a fever. Something else in the natural realm, if you want to see it later on in Luke, uh, there's another interesting usage. In Luke 8.24, he and the disciples are on the stormy sea. And Luke says, he rebuked the wind and the raging waves and they ceased and there was a calm. Now, if you know anything about a body of water, when the wind stops, do the waves stop immediately? They don't. But here with his rebuke, not only did the waves cease, but, or the wind cease, but the waves ceased as well. Another demonstration of the power of Jesus' word. And since Jesus has all authority and power, he can speak a word and overcome any enemy in the spiritual realm or the physical realm. Now, the day is over. Remember the Jewish day ran from 6 to 6. The day gets over. Word is out about Jesus, right? So what happens? The Bible says that when the sun was setting, all those who had any who were sick and various diseases were brought to them. And he laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. And the demons came out of many crying, you are the son of God. But he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak because they knew that he was the Christ. What did Jesus do? He graciously healed every single person who came to him. I don't know how many people it was. It was a lot, though. Anybody within walking distance that evening came. Remember, all this happened on God's day of rest. When it ended, the people started streaming to Peter's Peter's mother-in-law's home, and it became a house of healing as Jesus cured diseases. He removed tumors, mended broken bones, did whatever else people needed to be sound in body. He cured them all by, by his healing touch, the Bible says. And so we ask a question here, and this is a very important question. Does Jesus still have healing power today? He does, doesn't he? He still has healing power. He's a creator. He's the Lord of the human body. And he can work a miracle whenever he wants. However, this is not his usual way of working. Ordinarily, when he works to answer our prayer, he uses means, doesn't he? Normally, those means are normal means of medical care. And this, too, is one of God's gracious gifts, that we have doctors and we have medicine. But it's not miraculous. Some people will argue with me about that. The word miracle is used very casually by Christians. And sometimes it's used unwisely. Most recoveries... No matter how unexpected, they are not miracles. They are God working, but they are not miracles. Now, to understand why I say that, because I know some will argue with me about that, you have to understand why Jesus performed the miracles. Why, why did he perform miracles? The answer is, he performed them 
to show that he was the Christ, to show that he was the Messiah. He didn't do it to teach us to expect a miracle. Have you ever seen those little signs? Maybe you have one in your house somewhere. Rather, he did it to confirm his identity as the Christ. The apostles did the same thing in a similar way when they preached the gospel. As the good news about Jesus spread to new communities, the wonder-working power of the apostles helped to authenticate their message. And their miracles proved what they said was true. And if you'll study scriptures, you will only find that it's the apostles and certain people that Jesus commissioned who had the ability to do miracles because they are authenticating their message. And since Jesus has healing authority, we should pray in his name whenever we are sick. And I think all of us can attest to the fact that we've had very quick recoveries or unexpected recoveries very quickly, haven't we? And that, that is God working in our, in, in our physical bodies. But we need to recognize that sometimes God chooses not to heal us, doesn't he? We, we are living in a fallen world where disability and disease are part of God's curse because of, of sin. It's a curse against sin, actually. And eventually, even if we're not healed here, we will be healed, right? Because it may not happen until Jesus comes again. Furthermore, have you ever found that God actually uses our physical difficulties to do his gracious work in our hearts? When I, when I was younger, I used, to, I used to pray, Lord, will you help me become like Christ, but do it through your word rather than through suffering? <laughs> he didn't listen. So. The, the life of, of a Christian often follows a pattern of the life of Christ. And that is that suffering lead, is the road to glory, isn't it? Christ suffered while he was on earth. And that's the same road that we follow. But certainly there was not anything that Satan could do to stop Jesus that extraordinary day in Capernaum on which the Savior exercised his authority by communicating God's word, by casting out demons, by curing diseases. As a matter of fact, uh, he, he must have worked well into the night because in verse number 42, the Bible says, when it was day, he departed and went into a desolate place. Uh, his, his priority was with the word, but it was also with prayer because we find a cross-reference says that he went up to pray. Look at verse number 43. Um, other people came and sought him, but he said to them, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to other towns as well, for I was sent for this purpose. And he was preaching in the synagogues of Judea. Now I want you to notice his handling of the word. How has his word been used until now? It's been rebuking, hasn't it? But now all of a sudden, we find that he's handling the word differently. He's not rebuking. Instead, he is what? He's preaching. He's proclaiming good news. And this was his mission. He said, I was sent for this purpose. What purpose was Jesus sent for? He was sent to preach the gospel, the good news of the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is simply the rule of God. 
It's the extension of his divine authority and power. And that, that power is now present in the person of Jesus Christ, whose calling was to expand God's dominion by spreading God's word. You will notice that Jesus preached the gospel and he performed miracles to authenticate the fact that he was the Messiah. That's why all this happened. He didn't use miracles to expand his kingdom. He used his word. He used his word. The people, what did they want from him? What did the people in, in Capernaum want from him? They wanted him to perform more signs and wonders. But Jesus didn't come to be a miracle worker. He came to preach the gospel. His ministry was a ministry of the word. In fact, this is even true of the miracles that he performed. How did he cast out demons and heal the sick? He did it by the word of God because this was his purpose. And, and he did this so that people would know that his word is true. But people back then are just like people today. They want Jesus to be someone other than who he was. They wanted him to do something other than what he was called to do. But Jesus said, I must preach the good news of the kingdom for I was sent for this purpose. And people do the same thing with Jesus today, don't they? They want to turn him into some kind of wonder worker. They, they, uh, they want to turn him into some sort of an entertainment act. Or, or some kind of insurance policy. They, they want him to do something other than what he has to offer. They, they want him to give them physical healing or happy feelings or financial prosperity. This is what people want from Jesus. And these blessings are all good and Jesus can give them, but the greatest blessing that Jesus gives is the blessing of salvation through the ministry of his word. Isn't that the greatest blessing? The good news of eternal life through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And that is why the church's first priority is to preach the gospel. You know, people do the same thing with the church today that they did with Jesus. They turn it into something other than what God has called it to be. They turn it, the church into a political agenda or an entertainment venue or a social project. Anything and everything other than what it was intended to be and that is a community that gathers together to hear God's word. And once we hear God's word, it has an impact on everything else, doesn't it? God's word has an impact on every part of our life because it changes the way we live and it changes the way we work. It changes the way we think. But our first priority is to preach the good news. Now, whether people understand it or not, God does his work by preaching his word. J.C. Ryle, one of my favorite old-time preachers, uh, he, was a, he was a minister in England, in the late 19th, early 20th century, he said this. He said, Beware of despising preaching. In every age of the church, it has been God's principal instrument for the awakening of sinners 
and the edifying of the saints. And then he went on to say, and remember that sermons are the principal engines which Christ himself employed when he was on earth. It was the sermon. It was the preaching of the word. That was the engine that God used. And so the church, he also went on to say in another section of the same book, J.C. Ryle said, when the church abandons the preaching of the word, you find in history, those are the times when the church is weak. And when the church is strong and it's alive, you'll find that there is a priority placed on the preaching of the word. So let me ask you a question. Is Jesus' word still as powerful today? It is, isn't it? His word still carries the same authority when it's preached. Now, I want you to think about this. I had, I had the privilege this week of, of giving the gospel to someone that I do care about. It's an, just an acquaintance. I gave scripture to this person, right? And that scripture that I gave, the same scripture that you give to somebody who is unsaved, that scripture has the ability to raise the spiritually dead. That's how much power is in the word that you give somebody. But it doesn't stop there. The scripture you teach, whether it's to your children or the word that you give to people in counseling or to friends, the scripture you teach has the ability to encourage It has the ability to heal spiritually and to heal emotionally, doesn't it? It has the ability to change little hearts. It has the ability to change old hearts. And it has the ability to change hard hearts. And so when I stand up here each Sunday, my sermon and you must understand this, only has power and authority to the degree of its fidelity to Scripture. The sermon's power doesn't come from the preacher's ingenuity. The sermon's power doesn't come from the preacher's eloquence. The sermon's power doesn't come from his clever illustrations. I'd be in big trouble but only from his giving to hearers the scripture. That's it. All authority has been given to Jesus. He exercises this authority by simply speaking his word. Let me ask you one more time. Do you you believe in the power of that word? Does it have the same priority for us that have for Jesus? Now I got quiet. If it does, if it does, then how do we respond? We will read it. We will hear it, study it, memorize it, and do everything in our power to share it with others, won't we? If we truly believe it. The word will be the center of our lives. 
exercising a controlling uh, influence over what we think and say and do. It will be the main thing that we want to share with others. We will not be content to befriend people and serve them with the love of Christ, although we must do that at the very least, right? But we will have a pressing and compelling desire for people to hear God's word. We will encourage them to read it. We will invite them to study it. We will bring them to hear it preached. And we, as we have opportunity, we will help carry it around the world. That's what excites me about the yips, doesn't it? I, I, was, I was disappointed they're not, they're not here today. They'll be here sometime. But think about what they're doing. They're taking the word, they're translating it into a language that has never had God's word before. They have it on audio Bible. And you may have, you may have sat there today when they were gathering women together just to hear the word being read. But if you believe the teaching of Scripture, that it has the power to change lives, then you rejoice in it and say, please, do that as much as you possibly can, right? And so it can do its authoritative and powerful work in extending the kingdom when God's word goes out. Wonderful privilege we have of hearing it, speaking it, reading it, memorizing it, teaching it to all those precious children that went out earlier today, right? Teaching it to our teenagers, speaking it to other people in our family, encouraging other Christians, whatever it is, may this church be a church of the Word of God. Lord, we thank you for the authority of God's Word, of Jesus' Word. We thank you that it carries a power that we don't necessarily understand, but we are in awe when we see it work. I pray that we will submit ourselves to the authority of your word. I pray that we will also preach your word. And I pray that you will be pleased with the way that we handle your word. And may we have as our heart's desire everyone in Culpeper County to have heard your word. In Christ's name, amen.